0: We're in this series called Strong and Courageous and really as difficult as Phyllis's story was and as disheartening as it was and fearful that she was in that moment, it took a lot of courage for her to step in there and to feel God's presence and sense what God was doing in her life and so that took a lot of courage and it's a story. Phyllis's story is a story of courage and we've been talking about that I've been thinking about today, as we're getting into this message on courage, uh, to think about how our world tries to motivate us. And one of the things I I'm always struck by is all the motivational posters that we have uh, these days. And maybe uh, one that first comes to my mind is this one of the cat, you know, the cat poster, motivational poster, you know, it says, um, hang in there, baby, you know, or hang in there. And you got the cat hanging on the branch or the whatever. And, you know, I, you'll say that to each other. That's a phrase we used to say to each other, you know, hang in there. How are you doing? Oh, I'm hanging in there. And we say that all the time. And sometimes I'll even say, well, I'm hanging by five fingers or eight fingers, depending on how well I'm hanging in there. But I thought you might actually have some motivational sayings this morning. So I'd love to have you go over to the chat bar right now and put in the chat bar a motivational saying that you use all the time. And I actually will come back to that at the end of the service and we'll read some of those. So go ahead and chat some of those sayings. It might be hanging in there, uh, might uh, be uh, something else that you typically say or hear people say, or maybe it's a motivational poster hanging on your wall right now. I think about this, too, because when, when we don't have God in our lives, we, and sometimes in our culture, we turn to motivational sayings to try and encourage each other or pep each other up. And, and I know this is big in the corporate world sometimes to try and motivate your employees and, and motivate them, and we go to motivational speeches and so forth. But I think we actually need more than just a cat poster, right? I mean, think about Phyllis. When she was kidnapped, She was held captive. She was quarantined uh, in a dark place at gunpoint. Her life was on the line. I don't think a cat poster is going to encourage her in that moment. I could be wrong, and and it's not that that couldn't be encouraging. But what I'm saying is I think we need more than a motivational poster when we're discouraged. I actually think we need God's presence. I think we need God to show up in our lives and to know that God is with us when we're discouraged. Today I'm going to read to you a story out of the Gospel of Mark. And right before I this story, I want to tell you, there was another, a miracle had just happened. Jesus and his disciples, Jesus had asked his disciples for some food because they wanted to feed the crowd, and uh, Jesus asked for food, and they brought five loaves and two fish to Jesus. And in that moment, Jesus multiplied the food, and over 5,000 people were fed that day. So this miracle had just occurred, and the disciples had witnessed it, Jesus had been a part of it, the people had witnessed it, they couldn't believe it. And now, Jesus, at the end of the miracle, is where we're picking up the next part of the story here this morning. So I'm in Mark chapter 6. If you want to turn there with me, I'm reading out of the New International Version. Uh, but this is what happens after the miracle. Another miracle, actually. But here's what happens. In verse 40, chapter 6, verse 45, uh, it says, Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida. While he dismissed the crowd. And after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. And later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. And shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down, and they were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. I think about this passage, you know, and their hearts were hardened about the miracle. We're going to come back to that, so hold on to that thought. But notice that when the disciples are in this event, it's there's some things happening to the disciples. And I would say that they're discouraged, right? They're in a moment of discouragement. I know last week we talked about 360 degree encouragement and how we needed 360 degree encouragement. Well, I think the disciples are a great example of what 360 degree discouragement looks like. So here's what they're experiencing, right? First of all, it's dark, right? it's darkness. They're in darkness. They're in the middle. It's the middle of the night for them, and they've been out all night trying to make it across the lake. And so it's dark. They, They can't really see their surroundings clearly. And so that can be discouraging when you can't see what's happening or what's coming. The other thing is the wind is against them, so they're not making any progress. They're not moving very far. Maybe they're moving a little bit, but they're not making significant progress. And that can be so discouraging. I don't know how you felt when you heard the governor extend the stay-at-home order on Friday, but I know there was a moment of discouragement for me. I don't know if it was a moment of discouragement for you, but it felt like, oh, we're still gotta keep going. We still still gotta keep rowing. We still gotta keep and it doesn't feel like we're making as much progress as we hope. We thought we would be out of this. And so if you've ever done that, or if you've ever been on a run, and you think you've made it to the top of the hill, and you get to the top hill, and then you realize there's another hill, and that can be discouraging. That's exactly where the disciples at. They're not making much progress. And when you're not making progress, when you're not seeing results, you can get discouraged. And the other thing that they're experiencing is they're off course. They're way off course. They were supposed to be going to Beseda. We find out they end up in Genesaret. And because of that, they're experiencing. Also, a change of plans, right? They were planning to go one place, they end up going another place. Plans are changed, and maybe you've had that experience in your life too, where you thought your plans were going to work out and they didn't, but they ended up going a different direction. Maybe a relationship that didn't work out. Maybe you've lost your job right now or been furloughed, and you're thinking about what am I going to do now? It's a change of plans. You were headed to Bethsaida, but now you're going to end up in Genesaret. And so those moments can be discouraging to us. It was discouraging to the disciples. And yet God's up to something in this moment. God still wants to do something in this moment in the disciples' lives. And that's what's happening here in the text today. You know, I think too, when we're discouraged, one of the things that we tend to do that kind of makes it worse is we jump to false conclusions, right? We, our brains actually do this. We jump to sometimes assume the worst because we already feel bad, so we assume even things are going to get any worse instead of things getting better. We assume the worst rather than the best, and that's exactly what happens to the disciples. They're afraid. In fact, these grown men are screaming because they've seen a ghost. They misunderstand what Jesus is doing. They don't recognize what Jesus is doing, and actually they end up screaming in fear because they think they've seen a ghost. They're assuming the worst. It's already bad. We're going to just keep making it worse. And so they assume that it couldn't possibly be Jesus. And so what happens is they jump to this conclusion, right? You and I do the same thing. You know, I think our brains work this way, actually. We try and make sense of the world around us. We try and put everything into context, and sometimes our brains mislead us. I know this happened to me just this last week. I was out in the park and heading out to the bluffs and going to see the Olympic Mountain Range. It was out on a beautiful day this week. And as I'm getting up to the, going to the trail, I noticed there's someone beating a drum, and they look like they have a headdress on, and so I thought, in the context of that, I thought, well, that's a little odd, but there's the Native American uh, Cultural Arts Center there at Discovery Park, and I thought it might be connected to that, that there was something happening there, that this was uh, uh, some, an opportunity to witness some Native American uh, History and so forth, but as I got closer, I noticed people were avoiding this person and going around this person and avoiding that trail and making sure they didn't get anywhere close to this person. I thought, why is everybody avoiding this person? And then as I got closer and closer, it became clear that this person was not Native American. This person was wearing a mask with spiraled horns on it that looked similar to something I would see in a horror movie, like a satanic uh, ritual was going on and they were beating a drum. Now I don't think that's exactly what was happening. Could be. From my studies in the occult, but it was tied to some kind of pagan or Wiccan ritual that this person was performing. But even as I went by, it felt a little weird. It felt a little strange to me uh, because it was out of context. And my mind, but notice my brain, wanted to make sense of it. Wanted to understand what was going on. I almost stopped and said to the said to the person there at the drum. I said, "Are you doing okay? Is there anything I can do for you?" Because I thought maybe this person was having a moment, uh, having been in isolation. But I think about these moments where our brains try and make sense of what's happening. And our brains will do that to either bring about good or it can also go into a negative place and we can start to see ghosts. Here's the question though I have for you today. What's your brain doing today in your discouragement? And the question here for us today is, do we recognize God in the darkness of our discouragement? Right? if God were to show up in our discouragement, would we recognize it? Would we see God or would we think it's a ghost, right? Would we actually see what Jesus is doing? Because I think God's trying to reveal Jesus and who Jesus is to the disciples in their discouragement in this moment of darkness in their lives. And so we think about that, that question. Uh, You know, and it's interesting because I find that God actually allows us sometimes to be discouraged. And God shows up in our discouragement in different ways. And after we've been discouraged, I think of the widow and her son in the Old Testament. She was getting ready. They were in a famine. They were about to die. And she's about to make her last meal. And all of a sudden, the prophet Elijah shows up and says to her, can I have some of your meal? And she says to Elijah, are you kidding me? This is our last meal. This, my son and I are going to eat this meal, and then we're going to die because there's nothing. I got nothing after this. And so Elijah says, well, just trust God. Right, and so she actually incorporates, gives him some of the meal, and they continue to live through the famine, and they don't die. And so God shows up. You know, I always, often think about this. You know, God shows up at eleven fifty-nine p.m., right before midnight. I'd ra- I'd rather God show up at four p.m. or maybe noon, but for some reason, God shows up at just the right moment. I think about, uh, you know, every day the Israelites being discouraged. There was this giant called Goliath. And every day, the giant would come out onto the battlefield and taunt the Israelites. And every day, day after day after day, they were fearful. They were discouraged until David showed up, until God sent David and David slew the giant. Or I think about Jesus. Jesus was hanging on the cross on Good Friday. And when he said these words, he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was crying out to God in his pain, in his discouragement, in that dark moment of his life. And three days later, God shows up in resurrection. So think about that. That God wants to show up in our lives in these moments of discouragement, in these moments of darkness, when it seems like nothing's going the right way and we're off course, right? So, but are we going to recognize God when that happens? The disciples didn't recognize Jesus. They got scared. But here's what Jesus says to them. And it's, this is what Jesus says to us. Take courage it is I, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. So I want to unpack that, these two phrases, take courage. First of all, take courage means to be emboldened from within, that God will generate a spirit of boldness and confidence within us. And so that's what Jesus is saying to the disciples. I'm here, (laughs) be encouraged. I'm showing up. Don't worry about it. Everything's good, right? Take courage. Be emboldened from within. Get an inner confidence that comes from God. And then he says this statement, it is I. But this means more than just, hey, it's me, Jesus. Hey, you guys, you know, I'm not a ghost. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is actually saying something very important here. He's actually saying the phrase, I am. I exist. I am here. Now, if you look again back at some Old Testament stories, for example, Moses was meeting God at the burning bush. And Moses asked God a question and says, how d- will I tell? When I go to the people, who should I say sent me? And God says to Moses, tell them, I am has sent you. What he's saying is, you can't describe me. I'm indescribable. God, This God is indescribable. And so when Jesus says, I am, here in the statement, is actually literally what he said was, I am, He's actually making a statement that God is here, that he is divine. So what he's trying to do, in fact, and what I think Jesus wants to do, is reveal who he is to the disciples in their moment of discouragement. But it also said in the text that their hearts were hard, hardened by the miracle. So I thought about that. I was like, how do your hearts get hardened or slow to thought, or slow to grasp, or slow to understand when you've just witnessed a miracle. I think because Jesus is saying, I want to move you disciples from being dependent upon miracles to be dependent upon my presence in your life. To move from a, a relationship of miracles only to a relationship." of God's presence and divinity in their life. That's where I think God wants to grow them, mature them in this moment of discouragement, to say, it's more important that you understand who I am and that I'm with you than depending on miracles in your life. And I think about that too. You know, maybe you're like that, maybe I'm like, we're waiting for the next miracle when God just wants to be present to us right now in our discouragement, right? We're waiting for the miracle rather than looking for God's presence in our lives. And really, maybe it's because God wants to be present and be with us, even in our darkness, in our discouragement at times. So I've got some questions for you to think about around this idea of miracle versus presence of where your relationship is with God. I've got a few questions you can discuss at home. You can journal about them or talk with them in your class. I know we've got some classes meeting after the service. So, and if you, in fact, by the way, if you want to connect one of those classes, we'd be glad to get you connected. But here are some questions for you today. The first question is, are you looking for a miracle or looking for God? (laughs) Who are you looking for? What are you looking for? Number two, how do you recognize God's presence in your life? What does that look like? Everybody's different in how they experience God. And I want you to think about how do you experience God and how is it that God speaks to you? Number three, what would help you to experience God's presence in your life today? So whatever the answer number two is might help you in number three. And then number four, where do you need to hear the words today? Take courage. How do you need to be given courage? How do you need to be emboldened from within today? Because that's our hope. I think God wants to do that for you today and give you a glimpse of who God is and be present to you if you're discouraged. And even if you're not discouraged, I know God wants to show up in your life today. So think about those questions. I was thinking about this kind of, this relationship uh, between wanting a God of miracles versus wanting a God who is present with us. In between the miracles, because a lot of times miracles are rare, miracles rarely happen. And so, what are we doing in between the miracles? Is God with us in between the miracles? And I think about that, and I think about this relationship that you and I can have with God. And I sometimes uh, equate it with my relationship to my own children. You know, uh, I think of family vacations, and uh, we would plan vacations, and my kids wanted to go someplace fun. You know, they wanted the fun stuff. They wanted the big activities. They wanted the stuff that cost dad a lot of money. But dad and mom wanted to plan a vacation where we could be together as a family, where we could be in relationship. So the kids wanted the fun. In a sense, they wanted the miraculous vacation. Mom and dad just wanted to be present. I remember uh, a few years ago, we went to Yellowstone National Park. I planned the trip out. I thought this would be great to go to Yellowstone National Park, have a shared family experience, be together as a family, no distractions, you know, put the cell phones away, not have all the big stuff, and just go enjoy wildlife. Well, my daughters didn't have the same opinion of that trip as I did. Um, but I loved being together. I love being with my daughters, and I love the shared experience. I have great memories of that trip. My daughters may have a different memory of that trip. They would have rather gone to an all inclusive resort and had, you know, all the fun stuff and the jet skis and the snorkeling and the parasailing and all that stuff, right? But as a dad, I just want to be with my kids, right? I think God's that way. I think God, yes, wants to give us the miracles, wants to give us the good things, the things that will bless us. But I think more importantly, God wants to just be with us when we're discouraged, in the good times and the bad times, God wants to be present to us. God wants to show up when everything is against us. God, in fact, that's the moment God wants to show up in our lives. And we have to be open to seeing God appear, not just ghosts. But let's expect and let's jump to the conclusion that God's going to show up in our discouragement today. And here's the point. The point is, God's divine presence is really what we need when we're discouraged. More than anything else, we need to know that God is with us. And I hope that you know today that whether you're discouraged or encouraged today, I want you to know that God is with you. God is wanting to reveal God's self to you today in some way. So I would ask you just to be open to making that conclusion, to jumping to the conclusion that God is showing up, that God is there. Let's pray together.